Well, again, good morning to each of you and a warm welcome to all of you on this beautiful day. And as we celebrate Welcome and Pride Sunday, as we celebrate our whole life together, our deep commitment to hospitality and welcome, we welcome you and we especially welcome our guests. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. Open us to your will and your way. Guide us with your wisdom. Bring healing to a world that is broken and open our very hearts to your call, your call upon each of us as your beloved children. May our welcome be wide. May our hospitality be generous. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the house I grew up in uh, sat in front of a circular driveway. You entered either way and the circle driveway was like a sea. And uh, our front door was kind of in the center of the house and faced the front yard and the circle driveway. And we had a storm door. We had a wooden door, of course, but we had a storm door on front of the door, uh, which was kind of like a screen, but it was really one of those solid glass doors. Do you remember those with the weird little speaker in the center? I'm not sure who ever got up and spoke into the speaker, but it always felt a little odd. But anyway, we had this full glass door, and very often the wooden door was open for most of the day. And the, the glass door was uh, open, you know, and allowed sunlight in and so forth. Well, when people would be on their way to visit, like if we knew my grandparents were coming or uh, friends were coming or whatever, uh, my mom had this practice of, of not waiting for the doorbell, okay? So, like, she would say to us, don't wait for the doorbell. Uh, so we as kids would actually be up against the glass door waiting to see who would drive in, and then we would already be out in the yard before they ever got out of their car, right? Now that's probably pretty healthy for people who know you well, but for folks who've just come to visit for the first time, there are three kids out in the front yard ready to welcome you. But my mom, again and again, whenever we were welcoming people that were coming to visit us, don't wait for the doorbell. Already be ready, already be looking, already be in the front yard, already be committed to welcome the people who come. And so often we would run out to their cars and greet them and, and, and help my grandparents in or whatever it might be. Don't wait for the doorbell. Today's story from Genesis, which you heard so beautifully read by Sharon, is a story about Abraham in which in many ways he's not waiting for the doorbell. Like he is actively, proactively searching on the horizon. And that's really how we encounter these images all through Scripture. God is always looking for us, searching us out. Uh, it's almost, if you remember the prodigal son, remember his father isn't waiting in the house, waiting for his arrival. He's looking on the horizon. He's not waiting for the doorbell. Even today, uh, where I live, my friends kind of get freaked out. Like, I know they're coming, so I'll literally stand on the steps of the upper level looking out, and when they're there, I'm already at the door. That My buzzer rarely rings, right? Because I've been prepared to not wait for the doorbell. So in today's passage, we're introduced to Abraham and Sarah, formerly known as Abram and Sarah, but their names have just changed. Abram had meant ancestor or exalted ancestor, and God changes Abraham's, Abram's name to Abraham, which means the ancestor to many generations or multitudes. So it's all part of the covenant God has made with Abraham and Sarah. And you, you may remember this covenant. Abraham and Sarah are long in years. They've been living in what would be current day Iraq. 
And uh, God makes a covenant with them to promise them the land of Canaan, present-day Israel, Palestine, and says, I want you to leave everything you know in your old age and travel here and you'll get this gift and you'll be the father of many nations. And I'm impressed Abraham and Sarah do that. They leave everything they know and they travel there, but the challenges are many, right? And uh, they face a number of challenges, but at God remains faithful. And in fact, if you read chapter 17 before today's reading, you'll see that renewed covenant that God makes with Abram and even Ishmael, this promise of, of a, a generation upon generation, a lamb given, uh, a, a baby to come, all of these kinds of interesting promises to Abraham and Sarah. Now, the little twist on this is that uh, Sarah's probably about 91 years old, right? And Abraham is probably 99. So, you know, I'm almost 60, and the thought of raising a child at 60 makes me shudder. Amen, right? And uh, so I want you to think about if you were in your 90s and then being asked to raise a child, that seems like a big task, right? And yet, we know in the ancient world, families were blessed uh, the way they were validated, especially women, if they could have children, and Sarah hadn't. And, you know, that's been a challenge through their whole relationship, right? Uh, so today we come to today's uh, scripture passage in chapter 18. And, and I want you to hear this. Abraham and Sarah have, are uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the kind of the desert, but they're in kind of an oasis called the Oaks of Mamre. That's near present-day Hebron. And if you look online, there's some pictures of these giant oaks, some of which have died, some of which are still there. But they were huge trees and would have provided shade, probably an oasis, uh, probably uh, just kind of a cool place to be in the middle of the heat of the desert, right? And so here is where Abraham and Sarah have made their way. Their tents are set up, maybe their main tent, tents for servants. There's a place for the animals. They've probably uh, found a place for water, and so they've kind of set themselves up. And it's the heat of the day. And you know in the ancient world, people traveled early in the morning and late in the cool of the evening, but rarely did they travel during the heat of the day. You just take a break because it's too hot. Uh, but here we are, they're at the Oaks of Mamre. They're probably sitting in their uh, rocking chairs and kind of passing the heat of the day away when the Lord appears to them at the Oaks of Mamre. Now, they're not quite certain it's the Lord. They'll later reveal that they figured it out. But as God comes to them and, and Abraham is seated at the entrance of his tent in the noon heat, he looks up and he sees three men approaching, three men standing uh, near him. And when he saw them, and I love this, Abraham ran from the tent entrance to meet them. So already he's not going to wait for the doorbell, right? He's already looking. He sees these three strangers on the horizon, probably near him, and he immediately runs to them and he bows down before them. Now this is a sign of humility. This is a sign of welcome. This is a sign of servanthood. But Abraham, in his old age, kneels before them, sensing that these guests are special, but not quite clear who they are. So he offers this beautiful word to them. And, he, and the word Lord, or as uh, one translation read by Sharon said, my friend, my Lord, this is not the big L, right? This is just a sense of greeting. My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and we'll wash your feet, Rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring just a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to visit your servant. And what's fascinating by this is he offers basic hospitality, right? I mean, he offers what the ancient world would say is considered as kind of typical 
uh, behaviors. So people have traveled. It's the heat of the day. It's unusual for guests to be traveling and show up at noonday in the height of the heat. And so he bows before them. He invites them to take a rest. And he says some simple things. Let me get you a little water and I'll wash your feet, right? Uh, if you know in the ancient world and wore sandals and traveled in the desert, having just been in the Holy Land, there's a lot of sand, right? And your feet are not very clean, right? Um, you know, so just think about that. You've got these dusty feet. And I don't know if you've ever had your feet washed. We do that on Holy Thursday. Jesus did that in John chapter 13. Um, it, it's actually very refreshing. Like if you ever had a hot day where you didn't jump in the pool, but you put your feet in cold water, it, there's just something refreshing about it, right? So Abraham offers that gift to these strangers. Uh, and then he says, let me get you a little water to drink, you know, and uh, let me get you uh, a little bread to eat. So it's kind of like, let me get you some saltines and a bottle of water and I'll wash your feet. And that's pretty basic hospitality. And, and it's a real gift to offer that kind of care in the heat of the day to three people he didn't know, right? But then the story goes on, and I think this is where it gets even more interesting, beyond the really typical hospitality. After he had done that, and after they had sat down and said, do as you've said, in verse six, and Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah. So hastened is fast. I mean, he's not, I just love that this 99-year-old's running around, like this 60-year-old barely gets around, right? So he's running around, offering all kinds of quick hospitality. He hastens into the tent to Sarah and he says, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. So already we get a sense that he's going to do more than he has to do, that this hospitality is more extravagant than we expected. And he says to Sarah, you know, we're not doing just some simple saltines here. I want you to bring out the best flour. I want you to make, I'm going to say, a, a beautiful uh, butter pound cake, right? That's what I'm looking for, right? So it's, it's these special cakes with choice flour, and so Sarah gets underway. And then Abraham runs again, right? He ran to the herd behind the tents. He took a calf, tender and good. He gave it to his servant who hastened to prepare it. So not only are we getting the basics of water and a little bread and our feet washed, we're now getting beautiful cakes, right? And now we're going to have a barbecue, right? I mean, choice calf. I mean, this is big stuff, right? You really save this for the holidays, right? But Abraham is going the extra mile by offering this extravagant hospitality. And then, if that's not enough... In verse 8, Abraham took curds, cheese curds. I didn't know Abraham was from Wisconsin. And he took milk and the calf and the cakes and all that had been prepared, and he sat it before them. So I'm sure they're surprised, right? I mean, they've come. They've been invited into basic hospitality. Their feet have been washed. They've had a little drink. They had a little bread. But now that was just a precursor to a four-course meal, right? There's barbecue. There are beautiful cakes, there are cheese curds, and there's milk, which is kind of a rare gift in the ancient world. So uh, it's a full-scale, high-level meal of welcome. And then here are these words. He said it before them, and Abraham stood by them under the tree while they ate. Abraham doesn't sit with them. He stands. He's in a posture. He's in a posture of servanthood. He's in a posture of waiting on them. He's in a posture of meeting their needs, right? And I think that's powerful. I really do. Because I grew up with my grandmother 
Uh, you may have had this grandmother too. Uh, she never sat at the table, right, during a meal, especially holidays. So she was always up filling glasses, making sure food had been served. She even resourced the kids' table, which we all loved. Amen, right? And, uh, but occasionally she would pull out this really horrible little folding chair and sit at the corner next to my grandfather, but she was rarely in the seat, right? She was always looking. Anybody have a grandmother like that or an aunt or somebody? Always waiting on us, always doing that. Like I was talking to Rob Dion from first service, and he said his grandmother never sat down. And he said, if you put your cup down, it immediately went up and was filled and back into place before you knew it, right? That's kind of Abraham's stance, right? Abraham is in a stance of radical hospitality. He's in a place of service as he offers this gift to the people gathered. And then the scripture goes on that after he did this and they were eating, one of them said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, oh, she's there in the tent. So something's up because these three strangers know her name. Amen, right? And then one of them said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. I love that. The men are out having this barbecue. She's back in the tent having prepared a good part of the meal, and she's just listening in, right? And she hears these words. And then in verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and it had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Remember, Sarah couldn't have children. And in the ancient world, that was a deep tragedy because that's what identified your worth. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have the pleasure of having children? And then the Lord, now we get a sense of who this is. It's the big L. God says to Abraham, one of the strangers, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I bear a child when I'm old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. So out of this radical act of hospitality comes this amazing gift. I mean, Sarah and Abraham have been promised that they're going to be the mother and father of many generations, but there's not been proof of that, right? But now, in the midst of this radical act of hospitality from Abraham and Sarah, now this gift of a child in old age has been promised. But Sarah laughs, right? And then it says, but Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And then I love what scholars say. Uh, she was afraid, of course, because she gets a sense now that this is more than a, three strangers showing up for lunch, right? This is a life-changing moment. So in her fear, she says, I didn't laugh. And then God speaks back to her, and one scholar says, it's kind of like God's chuckling. Oh, but you did laugh, Sarah, right? It seems impossible. But as Scripture tells us, isn't Everything wonderful is possible with God. And God acts in the midst of hospitality in wonderful and miraculous ways. And, you know, it's all a play on the word laughter because this child will be born. His name will be Isaac, and Isaac means laughter, right? So already we're getting a sense of all of these beautiful connections in this deep gift of hospitality. So what does this word say to us on this very important Sunday when we're claiming a deep sense of welcome and pride as we're welcome, working to reach different people and new people as we express ourselves in this deep commitment of hospitality? What it says to us is the church is that we cannot be waiting for the doorbell to ring. Amen? 
We have to be ahead of the doorbell. We can't wait for the doorbell. We have to be ready. And not only do we have to be ready, but we have to be intentional in our hospitality and welcome. And we have to be out there doing that kind of welcome, right? Like some today, about 25 people are walking in the Pride Parade today as a sign of our welcome. They're not waiting for people to show up here, but they're on the street, on Buffalo Grove Road, actually, at 11 o'clock today, extending that welcome. And if you've ever experienced that kind of searching hospitality that seeks you out before you know it, it's powerful, amen? It's amazing. And when you haven't experienced it, it's painful and it's hurtful. I remember when I was on sabbatical several years ago, I wrote about this this week, I I was visiting different churches to learn, you know, what can I learn, what can I understand about how churches are doing ministry and sharing the gospel, and I went One Sunday, it was my last Sunday of sabbatical, I had some good experiences, but I wanted to visit this church I'd heard about. And so I went online and got their service time, and I, I, you know, I loaded up to go. And it's always helpful to be on the other end. Like, I show up here, and I know you know me, so I'm not very nervous, right? But have you ever gone to another church? It sometimes can be scary, right? To, to prepare and get ready and to go. And, and some of us have done that recently, and you can shake your heads. And sometimes it's, not, it's been a long time since you've searched out some new place. But think about a party or think about an event where you've been invited to. And the whole way you're thinking, how's this going to go? Am I going to be accepted? Am I going to be welcomed? How's it going to be, right? So I was a little nervous. And I drove, and I got there in time for what I thought was the correct service time, at 10 o'clock, but the uh, parking lot was full. I mean, literally full. And so I thought, what's going on here? Did I miss it? And the sign said, worship at 10. So I thought I was on board. And I, I ended up having to park way down the street. And you know, the whole time I'm thinking, maybe I should, I should just give this up, right? I don't really want to go through this. But I thought, you've come all this way, let's go. So I walked up and I went to the first door and it was locked, right? I have to tell you, that's a painful thing, right? When you're just trying to go in, you kind of got your guts up, you're ready to walk in, and then the door doesn't open. And I went around to four different doors, all of which were locked, one of which looked like the main entrance. And finally, I found this other entrance, and I pulled on it, and it opened, and there was a deep sense of relief, like, okay, I'm finally going to get to go in, right? I went in... And the coffee hour is going on. I mean, people are drinking coffee and eating Danish and all this kind of stuff. And it's clear that worship is over, right? So I really thought I had messed up. And so I said, I finally, no one greeted me, but I finally went up to somebody, because that's what I do. And I said, have I missed worship? Oh, yeah, worship was at 9 o'clock. You know, that's our new worship time. And I said, well, that's not what it says on the sign. And it's clearly not what it says on the, on the website. And he said, oh, we need to change that, I guess. And so I said, yeah, you really do. But I thought, wow, not a sense of I'm sorry or I'm sorry we didn't make this work or, or anything like that. And then he just kind of went on his way and no one really greeted me and it felt very bizarre. And I ended up having a cup of coffee, which was really bad. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I need good coffee if I'm going to visit, right? And, uh, and, and it just was weird. And I remember standing there watching all these people who were clumped together, talking to each other. And I thought, I'm going to go. And I just quietly left. And I thought, you know, I'm a pastor. I can handle this, right? 
But what if you're someone who's desperately seeking healing or restoration or welcome? What if you have just been through an end of a relationship or a loved one has died or you're trying to recover something in your life and you've built up the courage to go to the church and you experience that? And sometimes I, I think about our own welcome here, right? Like, are we often focused on talking to people we know, right? Do we clump together with the folks that are our friends when there are people walking in and by us that need for us to reach out to them? Amen, right? And so it challenges me to constantly be looking uh, for the folks that I don't know and to really make connection with them so that we are constantly waiting on folks and not waiting for the doorbell, right? And the temptation's hard because we love each other, right? We're pretty interesting people, right? Amen? And sometimes we don't see each other but on Sunday, and, it, and it's the temptation on the fireside is to clump together, right? But what if it means if we follow this practice that we look outward? We're not, we're not and, and if I'm in a conversation with Clayton, I go, Clayton, I'm going to stop the conversation because I see somebody I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the kind of basic radical hospitality that we're called to offer, right? It's what changes our lives. And then it also pushes us into the community. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? I remember several years ago when I marched with Methodist clergy in the Pride Parade downtown, and, and I wore my collar, which I rarely wear a collar, but I wore my collar and people were reaching out to me and talking to me and, 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 and visiting with me because they couldn't believe the church was present there, right? And there we were making this connection and expressing Christ's love. Amen, that's powerful, right? Or I think about in a few short weeks, we'll have the opportunity uh, to be at the 4th of July parade in Deerfield. And we're being invited to our campus there uh, to be there on July 4th to pass out hot dogs. I think two or 300, right? And, and folks go, well, why do we need to do that? Because, one, we want to show that community who we are and that we care about them and love them. Amen. But we also know what happened in Highland Park a year ago, right? So our very presence says that fear and hate will not have the final word, but Jesus will have the final word. And so we might have to delay our 4th of July plans. We might have to delay our 4th of July picnics. I know you're already nervous, right? But we might do that because we are deeply committed to extending radical hospitality to those we don't know. I told Clayton the other day that I'm really grateful for this Deerfield um, uh, adoption because it's pushed me to think about how do I reach people in this community, right? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I need to make connection with? I, it's funny, we met with the staff at Deerfield um, three weeks ago. We ate at a place called the Cherry Pit. If you haven't been there, I really encourage it. It's great. Um, and uh, we met with the staff, and we're talking, and it, this was the most bizarre experience. I, this woman comes in, she takes the table next to us, she said, my best friend's coming, and it's her birthday. When she walks in, will you all say happy birthday? And I'm going to be honest with you, a little bit of me said in my inside, not out of this mouth, I said, I don't have time for this. I'm meeting the staff. Who has time to say happy birthday, right? But luckily, Jesus stepped in and said, James, you can do this, right? And uh, so she walks in, and we all applaud and say happy birthday, and we know her name, and she's elated, right? And then we learn she's a cancer survivor, right? That this birthday is a big deal. And then she listens in on our conversation and learns we're pastors, and she's interested in ministry, 
and we exchanged cards and have built a connection, right? And it didn't happen in a church building, amen? It happened out there. So I encourage us to continue to push ourselves. We talk a lot about welcome and our welcome statement and all of that's important, amen? But it doesn't really count if we're not living it beyond these walls, beginning in the fireside room and then on out, right? If we're not in a stance of invitation, if we're not in a stance of looking, if we're not in a stance of watching and waiting and getting ahead of the doorbell, we miss the opportunity to be God's hospitality in the world. So, don't wait on the doorbell. Don't wait on the doorbell. Be ready for those who will come here, but even those out there that we may connect with because we're always looking. And the people of God said, amen. amen.